0: Good morning. That was pretty lively. Um, how about good morning? good morning? Much better. You you you've raised my energy level a bit here. Um, I, I come this morning excited to be home with people that I love after having spent a week in a whole bunch of meetings scattered around. And and I lived this last week a tale of two cities. It, it's interesting. Uh, we, we plan these sermons way out in front. So this this message was planned months and months ago. I've been looking at this text for this week. And and who would have thought that it would fit like a glove on what's been going on around us in our culture, what we've been living recently, and my past week. Here's the tale of two cities I lived. I went to two gatherings of Christian people. Um, on Thursday, I went to a gathering of people who have been carefully constructing a hostile environment for the last several years and making it impossible to talk with each other without suspicion and distrust. And the last couple of times I've left that periodic gathering, I haven't known whether to stick my finger down my throat or get in the shower and wash the slime off first. It's been absolutely horrible. And then I drove from way up north down to Olympia and I walked in a room at the governor's prayer breakfast where our site-challenged Lieutenant Governor Cyrus Habib got up and gave a prayer, and he thanked God for the various influences in our community and people of all different uh, perspectives on politics and how we could be together and be one in Jesus Christ. And we had so much to agree on in that, that there wasn't time to argue even about deep political divides between us. And then a senator who was asked to speak got up in front of the group, and he said, listen, I'm a Democrat. I don't know if you know, but our whole state legislature is full of those Republicans. And I'm a Christian too, and these Republicans have been asking me to come to these prayer gatherings they have on Tuesday mornings, and I've been afraid to go because I thought the Republicans would eat me. (laughs) And guess what? I go every tuesday i 'm bringing other Democrats. We love each other. Amen. We actually love each other and and we come to expect from each other the ability to hold each other in a big tent and have a lot of different views and to celebrate the differences and the vitality that 's in that and the way we can solve problems together and and it was like it was like a weird movie to live in two completely different Christian worlds over a period of three days. And today we get some really good advice on how to handle being in communities where there is a lot of argumentation and suspicion where trust and respect have declined and unfortunately this is something the apostle paul has to address with a young minister named timothy who he's been training and i've said before this is the last letter that paul writes second timothy shortly after this is penned and distributed he sacrifices his life in the roman palace and, and he's gone, and he's a martyr, one of the early martyrs of our Christian faith. And he talks about the nature of how we talk to each other and what's constructive, productive, and what's not. And I'll, I'll share with you in a couple of minutes. He uses a, a rabbinical or Jewish teaching technique that the teacher rabbis had used for centuries in this text in order to bring his argument home. But listen to this, will you? And you're going to hear Paul say the same thing three times, three different ways, okay? And he uses three different verbs that I'll talk about a little bit because he's really trying to drive this point home. And you're going to hear it right now. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God who's one who's approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And you see here he's turning up the heat. It does no good. The second time it goes, it says, it, hey, in fact, it becomes more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philatus, who have departed from the truth. They said that the resurrection's already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Think of those comforters. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord has to turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some are for a common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy and useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And then again, he's going to use another set of verbs here and say the same thing over again. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone able to teach, not resentful opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. God will grant them repentance, not our arguments leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to his will. Lord God, none of us want to be held captive to the will of the evil one. Righteousness, faith, love, and hope sound like such beautiful things. We want to wrap our hands around those. We want to cling to those from this day forward. We want to see your kingdom sprout up among us and in our community through righteousness, faith, love, peace, and hope. And God, we pray against those things in us that want to argue, that want to be right, that want to control, that prevent this kind of beauty from taking place. God, this morning, teach us from these three strong examples from Paul. Help us get his message and help us to do something with it in a world that desperately needs constructive talk, understanding, and healing. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name, I'd like to say I'm asking it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm begging you to grant this to us by your grace and by your mercy. Amen. So today's text follows this age-old Jewish form of teaching. Uh, It's called in classical rhetoric, because I've studied some of that in college, it's called argument by negation. So so what happens is when you're making your point, you state a negative thing first, and then you come around to what you want to see. You heard Jesus say, you know, you've heard it it said, Jesus teaches in the Bible, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, right? And everybody nods at Jesus and he says, well, I say unto you, don't even resist an evil person. If they strike you, turn them the other cheek. So you see how that methodology works? There's a strong negation and then the positive response. That, that's the more better way, the more excellent way. The first response is our gut instinct, our lizard brain that kicks in out of fear and, 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 and anger and stuff like that. The second one is, is the, the mind that's afire with the love of Christ and the heart that's held captive to him. So maybe, maybe your dad was a colonel like mine. If you don't get this negation, then fix it. Well, here's Randy Roland as a fat, left-handed, clumsy kid. Hey, dum-dum, that's not the way to do it. And then my dad would make all kinds of motions of how bad I was at being coordinated and doing stuff. And then he'd say, do it this way. You do it this way. So so if you haven't heard Jesus teach that way, you may have had a parent that taught you that way or a teacher. So this idea of negation can be a really good way to get people's attention. You tell them what you don't want them to do first and then you back it up with the better behavior. And this is how Paul teaches us here and he makes one point three different times And he uses different verbs and different payoffs to build the intensity of his argument. It's almost like, are you with me on point one? Okay, let's do this again. Here's point two. And now I'm really saying it loud. And by the time he gets to point three, he is screaming. And the peace, unity, and purity of the church and the future of the world's on the line. And whether we entertain the devil or send him back to hell where he belongs is the present issue. Pretty powerful, right? So... Paul says three negatives. Don't quarrel, avoid godless chatter, don't give in to the lusty ignorance that makes you argue and bicker with people. In the positive sense, do everything you can to present yourself with somebody somebody who skillfully understands God's word and is able to communicate it with a clarity and a disarming way. A, A firm foundational faith in your words and how you live it out. Don't worry about the details so much and pursue righteousness in peace and love in a community whose purpose is to pursue Christ with a pure heart and a kind word and a clear word and a gentle word to those who take difference with us. Now, I'm going to try to break le- break these three down as briefly as I can do. First time that Paul goes through this, he says, keep reminding God's people. In other words, keep this, keep this present, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. The most literal translation of this sentence briefly is don't get sucked into the, the verb has the sense of being drawn in. Don't get sucked into quarrelsome demonstrations of words. The, the, the ending of that sentence is demonstrations of words. So what Paul is saying here is words can be pretty empty. The words of argument can be very empty. They're, they're devoid of understanding, they're devoid of seeking reconciliation, they're more expression of one's own insecurity, one's own anger, one's own need to be right. But instead Paul says, work at this, do your very best to present yourself to God who's an approved worker who doesn't need to be ashamed of how they handle the word of truth. That whether you're talking about scripture with someone or theology with someone in a way you deeply disagree or politics with someone you deeply disagree or whether you strongly agree, the tone should be identical. And Paul's saying, let the gospel of Jesus work out through your life and in your words. And show that you understand and apply the word by the way you live. And what Paul is saying here is that this applied wisdom of godly lifestyle and godly conduct is far superior to the folly of pure knowledge. People who get in Christian communities or study the Bible, do a lot of theology, we become argumentative and we think we know a little bit better and we know a little bit more than other people. And we, we just want to grab onto this stuff and grind it. And, and God warns us against the the folly of pure knowledge. Secondly, Paul turns it up a little bit here. He goes, avoid godless chatter. Those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. I know there are a few medical people here. I have been in a hospital before and seen someone suffering with gangrene and had to look at a gangrenous area of tissue, not by my choice. I'm going to tell you that's nasty stuff. And it doesn't stop working, and it, gets, it moves faster and faster until it eats the whole body and rots life out of a beautiful human being. That, that word itself just ugh. But argument and criticism express our need to be right and our need to put a foot in the ground that says, I'm in and you're out. And in a faith that's based around unity and agreement in Jesus Christ, you're in and you're out conversations don't have very much space to operate Productively, in fact, they destroy faith. This kind of talk is toxic, and it can it can affect entire communities. And this is what I've been seeing in this one group I've been a part of on a regular basis. And Summer and I, and and we were we were meeting this week. Um, Mark got to stay home with the kids, for which I'll never forgive him, um, because I would have gladly taken care of your kids this last Thursday. Um, But but you can see the toxicity and the way that some people who are not argumentative, they're good souls, just become paralyzed and put to inaction, and made silent and, and, and cowering because of the nature of the conversation. Then I go to the situation in Olympia, and I'm hearing Democrats and Republicans who totally disagree with each other going, I love you and my brother in Christ. You know, I think we have the same values. Isn't it weird we got the same values, but we get at things differently? And you start hearing that kind of conversation, you, you see a world of possibilities in that. Um, so here Paul says, instead of godless chatter, we should have a solid foundation where we have confidence in Christ. Here's the interesting thing with me, I guess, in theology, I want to say this, and it isn't just because I'm old and I've practiced this for a lot of years, because I think I've kind of been this along the way, is if you really, really know you belong to the Lord, and I I know so many of you do here, there's probably only a couple of us who are still struggling with whether we want to make Jesus center in our life. Most of us are, are pursuing him strongly in our lives. You know, the Lord knows you. And he knows you're his. You don't have to prove anything to anybody else. He knows you're his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord has the opportunity to stand firmly in Jesus and in his love and peace and turn away from the wickedness of arguments and debates that are minutiae, that draw us off the mission of Christ and uh, sharing his love with the world, and draw people into these fearful places of argumentation and exposing places of disagreement. And then Paul goes on to say, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some are for special purposes and some are for common use, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy and useful to the master and prepared for any good work now what this is saying is that we should live with a strong confident foundation in Christ that we're the lords and when we say is Uh, he's for us, like I saw in these people. We should accept that at face value with each other and embrace each other as brothers and sisters. Paul uses some imagery here that also comes from the the Hebrew world. And if you've not studied Jewish first century Hebrew culture, then you probably got a more practical education than I did. But one of the things about that was that material things had um, basically three status one status was something that was that was profane like a um an outhouse or 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 or, or something like that would be considered it's there. You need it, but it, it it's not a thing of honor. You don't talk about it a whole lot. You just, it's, it's there. Right. And, it, and it, it's not an honorable, it's not profane. And, you know, don't wipe out all the outhouses in the world. People need to go, but it's not, it's not, it's not something that we st- celebrate as a structure. Right. And then you've got, for instance, plates and knives and forks in a house. Those are just neutral objects for the most part. And then there are some things that are set aside for really holy purposes. Um, uh, goblets that hold ceremonial wine like we do in the Lord's Supper. Um, the bread and the symbol that it carries. This, this bread is plain old bread. You might have had a slice of gluten-free bread last night or had a sandwich sometime over the weekend. But this bread and these cups are set aside for a special purpose of the, of the Lord this morning. And, they're, and they're, they're holy things. And you can take something very plain and neutral and make a holy thing out of them. And this is the argument... That, that Paul is making right here. Now, what, what he's saying is we should be seeking to be the more dignified object, something that God can grab and use in a beautiful way by setting us apart to holy purposes. When you think of household goods, I was trying to think about this way. This, you got some things in your house that just aren't all that holy, right? Um, is there anybody here that doesn't have a toilet brush in their house? Everybody here's got a toilet brush. Holy object? No a beautiful candelabra that you could use with candles to help set up a worshipful environment for some people coming over to a small group, candelabra might be a holy item. And the question that Paul's begging here is, in God's kingdom, would you rather be A, a toilet brush, or B, a candelabra that could hold and shine forth? The... Come on, okay, I'd like, all the volunteers that would like to be a toilet brush in the kingdom, just jump up and come up here, and we'll have a commissioning service. Who wants to be a toilet brush? Huh? Nobody? Gosh, I usually get one or two takers. No, it's absurd. And so Paul says, don't allow yourself to be a toilet brush. That's that's despicable. That's so below you. Be a vessel of honor. And then he talks about evil desires of youth to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Again, don't have anything to do with, now he calls arguments foolish and stupid. Isn't it great? The smarter you think you are in constructing the perfect argument, the stupider you are socially. Wow. That's a hard word, especially for people that I'm I'm inclined toward wanting to argue. Anybody here that way too? And it's it's not a good state. And Paul's pounding away at these points. And again and again we see this. And Paul talks about argumentation and needing to be right in this third iteration, as a lust. You know, some people get on doctrinal issues or something, that's almost bloodlust, and you see these nasty things posted, you see nasty arguments in public settings, and, and people are arguing about some stupid item of theology, while the world around them is going to hell. And they're much more concerned that somebody didn't restate their exact theological dogma word for word, than they are concerned that people are going to hell. They literally don't give a damn about who's damned. And I find that very, very sad. But the lust to do that overcomes us sometimes. And we behave very poorly. And Paul just reminds again, opponents, gently instruct them. Be hopeful that God will grant them repentance and lead them to the knowledge of the truth. And they'll come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. I think the last thing God wants for you and for me as his people is to be trapped into the world, the flesh, and the devil's way of conducting human interactions, of handling claims of truth, of centering communities in Christ on the essential things, and letting the non-essentials slip to the side. The opposite of quarreling and dialogue is rooted in loving, safe dialogue. And this is, this, this is something that's completely absent from our culture right now, folks. I don't know if you see it. I don't know where you're at in these political debates. I'm kind of, I'm somewhat apolitical. And I, I'm really embarrassed by the rhetoric coming out of both sides of our culture right now. And, and the, the amount of false news that's coming out on both sides because people are so anxious to make their point right, so, so willing to overstate any argument that their arguments all, all, almost become a lie. And, and it's a sad, sad place for us to live in this way. And think of this, what Paul's saying in this text is your gentle response to somebody that disagrees with you opens up the possibility for the Holy Spirit to convict and correct them and guide them in new ways. But if you and I behave like hammers with the Bible and hammers with our theology and pound on people, then God has to take that person, even if they're an error, or doing something wrong and has to use the power of the Holy spirit to console them and remind them that they belong and they're his. And he doesn't get around to the business of correcting them because we've been so busy destroying them. And so this passage in scripture here says, look, if you want to see God do great things, especially among your opponents, philosophically, politically, treat them gently, listen to what they have to say, talk, Talk deeply. Drink drink deep of both of each other's realities and wrestle and make a commitment to be gentle on the back end. Um, you know, I, I have friends who say, you know, when religious groups come door to door and knock, they go to the door and they scream out some biblical texts and and stuff that they've heard against uh, some of the cults that come door to door like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses and how they shout them down in a theological debate or say, no, I'm bible believing Christian slam the door in their face. You know, a, a friend of mine, Lynn Jones, who is a minister of mine, one of the most loving, reconciling women I have ever known in my life, full of Jesus like you wouldn't believe. People like us used to come to Lynn's door and she goes, really, I am an avid follower of Jesus, are you? And if the person says yes, but then but, but, they're trying to get to the doctrine, she goes, she'd stand on the porch and say, Let, let's hold hands here and let's pray for this world that Jesus would save all the people who are lost and wandering. Will you pray for me for the sake of the world? Will you pray Jesus with me? And it's amazing how some of these people go, yes, and they're on their knees praying with her. And others of them have their briefcase and they're down the street so fast to make your head swim. (laughs) But it was a gracious word that turned away wrath, entertained the possibility of common unity. And when that person didn't want to be in a common unity, they left and went someplace else. You know, We're having challenges with this in our religious institutions, in our social institutions like politics. We're even having problems like this um, uh, within the Christian church. And I gotta say that um, we've been hearing stories even around here in Seattle of, of small covenant groups of people that are meeting for five, 10, and 20 years breaking up over who they voted for or didn't vote for for president in the last election. We have religious organizations arguing over one and two little words of how they have to be placed in the sentence in order to let the purest and most enlightened of the club be satisfied that they're good enough. And that is just downright sick. Jesus calls us to this higher way of love, peace, faithfulness, letting Jesus come out through our lives, letting the tenderness of Jesus come out through our voice and trusting him just like he holds us, that he can hold those who disagree with us and correct them and shape them just as easily as he can correct and shape us. So church, this is our call. Let's, 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 let's hang up our six guns of argument. Let's open up our hands of peace. Let's open up our ears and listen deeply to the people around us, whether they agree or disagree. And let's make a commitment to love because God loves us so deeply. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning? And, and I would say if this argumentation or having a, having a divisiveness or a criticism or cynicism about you is part of your issue, as you pray this morning, offer that to Jesus. He offers you his bread and his body and his blood and the bread and the cup. Offer him your cynicism, your argumentative, your need to be right. And, and ask that that be crucified just like he was crucified, so that a resurrected new life and new spirit would appear through you. Jesus, there's so much you want to do with us in your world. There's so much our world needs. God will you help us be the kind of people that we hear about in this text? The people on, on the other side of the don'ts, that we'd let you shine through our lives, that our gentleness would be apparent to all that it says in Scripture. And God, I pray your forgiveness in my life and the life of my friends here for the times that we just feel the need to be sassy, feel the need to argue, feel the need to get back and be right. Instead, Lord, help us to be right with you. Pray, Lord, that we would come to you this morning with hearts full of gratitude for all you have done in our lives and in our world. We thank you, Lord, that um, you've given us your word and then you've authenticated your word in this one Jesus, whom we so love and adore and bow before, who demonstrated all there is for us to know about God, what it means to be saved and rescued by God, and what it means to live a life of faith, love, hope, and peace in this present world. So, Lord, as we come to your table and we receive these elements... Forgive us our tendencies to behave counter to what you desire for us and infuse us with your spirit and make us not only willing, but make us able to live as you have called and commanded us to live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And after supper, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, saying, This is my body. Broken for you. In the same manner, after supper, when he had given thanks, he took the cup. He said, This is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you take this bread and drink this cup, do so in remembrance of me until I come again. Come to the Lord's healing table. Come to peace, love, unity, righteousness, and all the things you deeply long for this morning.